wonderful day to be here with you all. I need to take a second and also offer a very special Mother's Day to somebody sitting at home right now. Uh, we're going to try not to cry, okay? Um, my best friend and my wife, Kelly, uh, had our third child on Monday this last week. Um, thank you. Um, the little one's name is Isla June, and I want to tell all of you something. She's a little precious, sweet girl. And when we're in this series on Nehemiah right now, we're talking about rising up and building, right? Well, I need to let you know something. This church family has risen up and held my family during this time. My wife has a lot of health issues, okay? Uh, we did not know how this pregnancy was going to go. We thought we maybe lost the child four times in the first trimester. Y'all were praying diligently, seeking our father. You have risen up, and I want you to know this little girl is an answer to your prayers. Amen to that. So, when we're talking about rising up and building, um, this is something the Lord's calling us to right now. We thought the ship had sailed on more kids, okay? Ours are 14 and almost 12. Um, we're a little north. Uh, I know we're still young compared to some, but believe me, I did not think a newborn was coming at 42. Um, and so the Lord's calling us to something new. He's, he's calling us to raise a child up in his ways. This is a way he's calling us to rise up, but I do want you to know we can't do it alone, and everything the Lord is asking each of you to do, you can't do it alone. You need the body to come around and help you build and rise up, and you all did that, and I just I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you very much. Uh, so, okay, we got the emotion out already to start, Okay. Sam was joking me with a little bit. You might be able to take a clicker and see how many times there are yawns in this as well. So we're going to try to hold through, and we will rock and roll. So you probably never even heard rock and roll in a sermon, so here we go. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Nehemiah 4, verses 1 through 14. So Nehemiah 4, 1 through 14. Now, we're in the third week of our series, Rise Up and Build, where we're walking through the book of Nehemiah. Now, the book of Nehemiah can be divided into two main parts, all right? The rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem and the restoration of God's people. And we're currently in the rebuilding of the wall. Now, in week one, Sam showed us that Nehemiah hears of the destruction of Jerusalem from a thousand miles away, and the wall around the city of his people had been destroyed. And he was placed with this burden to go and restore this wall. And at the end of chapter 2, Nehemiah responds to a group of adversaries to the work, and his response was this, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will rise up and build. Now the overarching theme, even though we each are having this individual call, right, the overarching theme of Nehemiah is God's faithfulness to his people that he will fulfill his promises. And so his people even had this in Zechariah 14, verse 10 and 11, where the Lord said this. He said, Jerusalem will rise and remain. Jerusalem will dwell in security. Nehemiah knew this. He knew the promises of God. And last week, Slade took us through Nehemiah 3, where the work had begun. The gates started to be built and established around the city, and people from different backgrounds, occupations, were all coming together to build. And that brings us to today and we see the building of the wall. So if you were to come and stand next to me, all right, 
uh, it uh, may be difficult, and let me just say, uh, it will be probably real difficult, to discern that one of my passions growing up and still to this day is to play basketball. Let's just say the Lord did not gift in the height category, okay? But everything that wasn't gifted there, he gifted in speed and agility. So I can still ball, okay? I can play. Uh, and I love to play basketball. Even growing up in Scottsdale, Arizona, 122 degree days, I'm out there shooting nonstop. Well, seventh grade comes, all right, and I was so excited to get to try out for the school team first. All right, I'm like, all right, here we go. I'm ready to go. I have my friends. We're walking out there to tryouts. I step out onto the court. I don't even pick up a ball. I have never met this coach a day in my life, and he takes one look at me with 100 other middle school boys around, and he goes, what are you doing? And I go, oh, I'm here to try out for basketball. And he goes, uh, no, you just need to get off the court. You're too short. You'll never play. You can say, oh, I mean, that was that moment. And in that moment, those words penetrated me. Those words stopped me in my tracks. And what did I do? Did I continue? Oh, I wish I could have told you I did. I did not. I turned around. I went and tried out for wrestling, and I wrestled in seventh and eighth grade. I did all right in wrestling, but I love basketball. And that moment stopped me, a verbal attack stopped me from pursuing a desire that I felt called to do. It really affected the rest of my entire time. I, even through high school, I just decided to play club ball. And I'm like, I'm not even going to try out for school basketball. Now, the opposition and barriers that I faced were not unique to me. Every single one of us, every single human being has barriers or opposition to what they feel led to do, desire, or pursue. Now, the difference, though, between the world around us and Christians is the way we respond and how we can respond in the face of opposition. Now, one of the roles that the Lord has led me to right now is I, I train and coach church planners and missionaries and people stepping into calls from the Lord into vocational ministry. And I see over and over again them battling uh, thoughts from other individuals, whether it's family or even within the church or outside or maybe lies from the enemy of, you can't do this. You can't do this. And they are often told by mentors or things to remember their calling. Okay, maybe you've heard this, like when you're pursuing something the Lord's leading to, remember your calling, remember why you're doing what you're doing. And that is good and right, and we should. But above all that, the foundation that you and I need to understand is we need to remember who has called us. I mean, did you hear, did you hear that? You don't remember your calling first, you remember who has called you. And so today we're going to see that since the Lord calls every believer, we must remember him in the face of opposition. Since the Lord calls every believer, we must remember him in the face of opposition. So if you read with me, Nehemiah 4, 1 through 14. Now, when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. 
turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builder. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them to stop the work. At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. This is God's word. So coming out of our passage today, I have two points that we're going to walk through for us. First is opposition is a reality. And the second is remember who has called you. So first, opposition is a reality. So let's go back to verse 1, okay? And we see, now when Samballot heard that, they were built, that we were building a wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Now, this isn't the first time we've heard of Samballot. That opposition that we saw actually in chapter 2 was the same guy, and along with Tobiah the Ammonite uh, servant, were displeased that someone was coming to the welfare of the people of Jerusalem. So now, Samballot was most likely the governor of Haran, which was about 12 miles to the northwest of Jerusalem, okay? And for Jerusalem, for the wall to be built back up, of course, was very threatening and displeasing to him because that meant financial security for the people of Jerusalem. Samballot could no longer take advantage of that. He would no longer rule over them. Now, most likely, he was on the path where he was on the trade routes to the city. And so word of what he was saying would get back to Jerusalem. So in hearing of the initial work of the Lord that was starting, he was hoping to deter deter the mission by saying, does the king know what you're doing? That's what he said in chapter 2. And of course the king knew. He had sent Nehemiah. But now the work had started. Now it was real. It was getting going. And word came to Samballot, and his anger was kindled because his empire was at stake. So once again, he hopes to deter the work of God. Now, opposition to the mission of God is nothing new, right? This isn't the first time we've seen opposition. From the beginning of time, there's always been an adversary to the Lord. I mean, when the Lord created all things, and he created man, and Adam and Eve are dwelling in the garden, there was an opponent, Right? that was speaking lies to deter them and take them off the call the Lord had put them on. They were facing 
the devil. And he wants nothing more than to distray and pull you away from what the Lord has called you to. And so we need to see when we look at Sam Ballot and the opponents of God here in Nehemiah, it's equal to you and I that have adversaries that are in the spiritual realms, dark cosmic powers at play. It's not necessarily another individual. Kind of works well as we just went through Ephesians 6, right? If you were here for that series and now we're into this. So what attacks came and what assault came for Nehemiah and the people of God? First, we saw that the first attack was a verbal assault. It was a verbal attack. So in Nehemiah 4, 2, and 3, we see these questions that Sam Ballot starts asking. And he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Like mocking them, right? It's ridicule and mocking. Will they sacrifice? Will they actually sacrifice to their Lord? Will they finish up in a day? And then Tobiah jumps in and starts going, like banging on the quality of work, right? Like, look at this wall. Now, this is a hilarious thing. Most likely that wall was actually like already about nine feet wide. So no fox is crushing that thing, right? But he's jabbing, he's jabbing. He's trying to poke, poke, poke. Like, surely, you guys, you cannot do this. There were verbal assaults coming over and over and over. Their strength was being questioned. Their ability What can they possibly do? Do you think they're actually going to sacrifice? The enemy was trying to take focus off of God's people, off the Lord and the mission, and put it on the physical circumstance before them. Okay, hear that, because that is very important for you and I. If we merely look, and if they merely looked at the actual mission, it made no sense. It didn't, because there was rubbish. And they maybe were feeble and weak and tired, and how could they do this? It would have seemed utterly impossible. So my question to you is, do any of those questions sound familiar? Have you maybe heard those or maybe even told some of those to yourself? Now, moms, motherhood, think about that. Have you ever heard, I'm a failure as a mom? Oh, man, look at my kids' behavior. How can you even control your kids? Look at the house, everything's destroyed. Or even if you're a single mom, working mom, how can you leave your kids at home or to the care of someone else? And you're being told these lies coming in and attacking your calling at every moment. Have you heard any of those? Have you heard any verbal assaults? Let me tell you one thing, I wasn't gonna say this, so this is where I might go off a little bit. Uh, Verbal assaults don't always come from other individuals. I think verbal assaults for us today, and especially moms, if I'm going on that track, social media is a beast. Because what happens is, is you're loving your kids and trying to raise them up in the way of the Lord, and you get on one time to try to, hey, look, look at this picture of our kids, and then you start to see, oh, my kids are a mess. This person has them all in button downs, and they have beautiful shoes, and they really know how to care for their kids. But you don't know that maybe the kids were screaming for five hours, they had to change 100 diapers before they even took that picture. And you hear these lies. Look at you. How are you, good mom? You, can't, you surely can't do this in the Lord. No way. Those verbal attacks are huge for us, and they come. So next we see a threat of physical attack. So if we move to Nehemiah 4, 7, 8, and in verse 11, we see Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were being closed. So obviously the verbal assault didn't work right? It didn't work, so now they hear it, and they're angry. And let me see, Samballot and Tobiah, they're not alone now, are they? 
Now there's whole groups of people. There's the Ammonites, the Arabs, and the Ashtadites coming from everywhere. Now you need to know it spread. So the Arabs from the south, the Ammonites from the east, Ashdod, which was from the west, the people of God are now surrounded. They're now surrounded by the enemy. And in verse 11, we see the enemy say, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. They must have heard this. They heard the threat of their physical life. It enraged the enemies of God, and they plotted together to fight and kill. Now, the goal, goal of the enemy was to stop the work. So verbal assaults haven't worked. Maybe, maybe that has happened to you. Verbal assaults actually have stopped you in the call the Lord has placed on your life. But physical threats, now that's a whole other ballgame, right? I mean, I could actually lose my life for pursuing what the Lord has called me to, or maybe not that, maybe my just style of life. Maybe my finances or my security are being opposed, and that will cause physical um, change for me. So it can cause great confusion, the physical threat. And at the time before the uh, wall was complete, Jerusalem wasn't able to protect. So they had to handle these threats. It was truly a threat. And finally, the last um, attack that we see that all these came from, actually, or it was a cause of, was there was an internal conflict. Okay, so in Nehemiah 4, 10 and 12, uh, we see in verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And then in verse 12, said, at the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So the people started to take to heart what was happening. They started to see and go, this is too much. We can't do this. And so there's internal opposition now right? And so together as we're a body, and maybe the Lord's calling us to certain things, but some see the physical threats, and they have fears, and they go, we can't do this. There's no way. There's no way. I, I remember when I was being led by the Lord into church planting years ago, um, and I had a very dear friend of mine, and we were getting ready to go. We had to raise support to do it, right? I'm moving my family and Kelly, all with her health uh, concerns and things, and we're moving to Austin, and I, my good friend had never told me, uh, like, you should do this. And you're supposed to seek wisdom from others, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what Proverbs says, like many counselors. And I remember I bumped into him one day, and I was like, hey, you've never told me. Do you think we should do this? And he's like, hands down, like, without a, said, no, you shouldn't do that. Look at Kelly's health. There's no way you could ever do this. And I went, whoa, okay. But the Lord just kept placing this burden on my heart and, ke- and on Kelly's heart. And we're like, we just feel like he wants us to do this. And then it's being affirmed by many others. And we have an opportunity. And so we went. And b- praise God we did. We were supposed to. There can be internal opposition. And we need to be vulnerable with one another. And I'm so thankful that we see here that these people voiced what was going on. We are afraid. Do you see what's going on? I think so often in the body of Christ that we don't want to say we have a burden, right? I don't need help. This is too much for me, especially moms. If you're feeling here and you're feeling individual and like I can't go on, reach out. Reach out. My wife struggles with this. And even to ask y'all to pray as we continue to go is going, that's a step. We're fighting the opposition telling us, no, you don't need anybody else. We can rally around. And so we need to watch the internal conflict. Because the people outside the wall, they're like, listen, these guys want to kill us. We need you to come back to us. Stop working on the wall and come to us to protect us. Ten times. Like, Nehemiah heard this over and over and over. 
I, I just, moms keep coming. How many times do your kids keep asking you for something? Like over and over. Can you just stop? Like, no, I don't want to do this devotional again. Can we just end it? Like, come on. Okay, no. Let's continue to point to the Lord. So what did Nehemiah do? This opposition was real. Like, we can read this like it's a story, and it is a story, but this was real. And we're talking, their lives are at stake. There's a huge job that needs to be done. The kingdom of God needs to be preserved. What does he do? He remembered who had called him. He remembered who had called him. And that's our next point, is remember who has called you. So if we go to the very last verse in Nehemiah 4.14, we see his response. He says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the officials, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So Nehemiah examined what was happening and immediately responded. He gathered everyone, like not just the the up top people, right? He gathered every single person. He sees the fear, he sees sees what is starting to rise among them, and he exhorts them, okay? He exhorts them and he says, do not be afraid of them. Do not fear the enemy. Do not fear the opposition. Now, it's hard, it's hard not to fear, right? Like, it just comes up. It's hard not to fear when something happens, but Nehemiah gives why they can do this. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Now, constantly, God's people needed to look back at what God had done. And remember the greatness of his salvation. They're constantly looking back to Moses and the Exodus when God led his people out of captivity in Egypt. And that was a marker. That was a good point going, that God, he is our salvation. He is our deliverer. And he will take us out of captivity. He will provide for us in the wilderness. They needed to be reminded of who their God was. To not fear and continue in any work the Lord is calling them to, Nehemiah knows their faith, trust, and focus must be on him. Now, for you and I, we were once enemies of God, and we were once the opponents to the work of God. We were born into this world fallen and sinful and rebellious to our creator, right? Romans 3 tells, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. But, God being rich in his mercy sent his son to take on our full punishment and God's wrath to bring us near. Romans 5.10 says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So for you that have repented and trusted in Christ, he has brought you near by his death and he has given you life eternal with him forever through his resurrection. If you haven't trusted in him, there's nothing for you to remember. But for you that have, you can remember him. He's your deliverer. He's your salvation through whatever you're going through. Nehemiah did this. Nehemiah remembered who his salvation was, who his deliverer was. Now, I think one of our first reactions when opposition happens or any kind of conflict can be just to act. Do we have any doers here? Like, please tell me, oh, come on, you achievers. Um, I know That's not me, okay? I understand. That's my wife. Like, no, we just need to act. Or when opposition or fear happens, what's another? Panic, right? Like, this can happen 
as moms too, like, okay, we're going through a lot because my wife and I with new kids, we understand these things. Like, how can I, how can we take care of this? How can we even do this? Do you see what's going on? So it can be either to act in my own strength and to go forth and conquer this thing, or I panic and now I'm paralyzed, right? And I can't move because it has paralyzed me. So how does remembering the Lord play itself out practically? Like, how does it play itself out during opposition? Well, Nehemiah gives us a wonderful example. So first, we remember with prayer. Okay, so after the first verbal attack, we see his immediate reaction in verse 4 and 5. He says, hear, oh, our God, for we're despised. I mean, that's his first thing. He's like, Lord, these people do not like us. Like, they do not want us to do this. And I pray, Lord, that justice would come. Do you know that it's a good and right thing to pray for justice? We serve a God who is just and merciful. And when we see rebellion against him, it's okay to pray for justice to come. Because Sam Ballots and Tobiah and all the people that were rebelling against Nehemiah and their opposition, they were opponents of God. They were rebelling against the creator of the universe. Then we also see Nehemiah after his physical threat happens in verse 9. They say, and we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Nehemiah's response was to immediately remember his Lord and he went to him in prayer at every time. I mean, as we walk through this whole book, you'll see it. He, he prays to his God, then he acts. He prays to the Lord, then he acts. That is always the order. That is always the order that we see him. It wasn't a stagnant response. He can say, I know God is in control. I remember him. Hear, oh God, hear our prayer and answer it. He knew it wasn't him that was accomplishing all that needed to be done, yet he did have steps to take. There were steps to take, just like you and I. Um, okay, growing up, another story. Here we go again. There's just stories today, stories with mom. Um, this may be hard for you that know me, hard to believe, but I was maybe not... Uh, the most rule-following teenager, okay? Uh, I was a handful for my mom. I was rebellious. I was constantly going my own way, and I could only imagine the sleepless nights that my mom had wondering where I was. All under the guise of saying that I loved the Lord, right? But I thought I had to have everything that was in the world, so I was kind of doing this dual thing. Now, about eight years ago, when, when called into church planting again, I'm constantly praying for Kelly, and I'm praying this verse, Philippians 1.6 right? She was having a lot of doubts, and I'm praying, as Paul tells the church, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And I'm praying that over and over and over. And my mom comes to a visit, and we had just found out that we are going to go to Austin. And uh, I'm sharing with her in the kitchen, I remember so vividly, and I'm saying, mom, I've been praying this for Kelly, and the Lord's doing all these amazing things. And she stops, and she goes, can I tell you something? Go, yeah. She said, I have been praying that verse for you since you were 13 years old. I think I was about now 35 when I told her this. She remembered her God. She remembered her Lord and went to him in the face of a rebellious child that was going crazy and running away and gave, hey, a lot of opposition. Lord, I'm sure of this, that you who started it will finish it. And she remembered and she kept going and going and going, even though she didn't see the outcome for 15, 20 years and it's still, believe me, not finished. But it will be. And she knows it because of whom she's believed in. She remembered the God of her salvation, who's great and awesome. Moms, never stop praying for your kids. Labor 
Labor, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember him who's called you. So what is your first response in opposition? You have to ask yourself, because we need to know how we respond in order to fight it and how to correct it. And then we ask Jesus to deal with it. Praise God, he's the one that transforms us. Parents in the room, you can't transform your kids. Amen? Ah, believe me. And I've had to repent of that many times. Lord, I can't control them or transform them. I need you to do that. Remind me. So what's your first response? Is it fear? Is it to come up with excuses why not to move forward? That's a great one. Well, I'm praying for somebody to do that thing. Uh, maybe the Lord just put it on your heart to actually go do that thing. Pray and then move forward. Maybe the Lord has already stirred your heart during this series to pursue a new calling and you have doubts. And the enemy has said, who are you? How can you do this? How could you possibly step into that? You are weak and feeble. Do you know how much it would cost you if you pursued that? Is your response to remember the Lord in prayer? Seek him, go to him, pray, ask for guidance, direction, but above all, ask him to remind you of who he is. Because if you have that foundation, Christian, you're going to be able to go wherever he has taken one step at a time. It can be hard, you don't know the end, but you can remember who has called you and sent you, no matter the circumstance. So finally, we see Nehemiah, he remembered with action, right? He didn't just sit and pray, right? He had action. So after the first attack, the verbal attack, we see in verse 6, this, I, I just love this verse, so we built the wall. Simple, right? Like, so we built the wall, and the wall was joined together to half its height. That is a job. That was work. The people had a mind to work. Nehemiah left the outcome to God and continued. Sometimes the opposition can paralyze us, but it did not them. We can feel defeated or dwell on how we got on this situation and how we can get out of it, but sometimes you just got to take the next step. In verse 12, after the physical threat, we see at the time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions, said to us, 10 times you must return to us. Well, so what did he do? So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed people by their clans. He had them prepared for any attack. We saw swords, spears, bows, right? Distance attack, short attack. He took action and took thoughtful steps after praying to his God. And then they also say, he ends in verse 14, after remembering the Lord, fight. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your wives, your homes, your sons, your daughters. So Nehemiah was prepared to fight. He set up a guard. And the people of God faced opposition, remembered the Lord, and they did the next thing. They weren't paralyzed. So in 1956, five missionaries went into the jungles of Ecuador to show and share the gospel to a group of people. And their lives were taken by the very people they were trying to reach with the good news of Jesus. And they left behind their wives and their children. Now, Elizabeth Elliot was one of those women. And she continued. She had, was left with her daughter, Valerie, and she actually continued to go back into that jungle two years later with the gospel of Jesus to continue the mission. She had been given a wonderful ministry. Most of you are probably familiar with her the rest of her life by sharing this story and was a spiritual mother to many and faced constant opponents, constant suffering throughout the rest of her life. 
Now, there was this poem that she found that was most made popular by her, but it was a commonplace poem. And I wanted to read some of the words for us of how we can do the next thing with Jesus as our foundation. So trust, um, sorry, first page. Fear not tomorrows, child of the king. Trust them with Jesus. Do the next thing. Do it immediately. Do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all the results. Do the next thing. Looking for Jesus ever serener, working or suffering, be thy demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm, the light of his countenance, be thy song. Strong is his faithfulness, praise and sing. Then as he beckons thee, do the next thing. What is your next thing? What is your next thing? When all seems like it's crumbling down, when it seems like it's hopeless, how can we pick up heaps of rubbish and build another block? What's your next thing? Jesus is your foundation. Some of us, I mean, I think of the times where my wife couldn't even get out of bed. The next thing was just to take a shower. And that can be glorifying to God. Laying in bed for weeks on end, praying to the creator of the universe when you can't move is glorifying to him. What's your next thing? You have to know that because to, t- to get the end goal of whatever calling the Lord's placing on your life and us as a church, we have to take the next step. The wall did not get built immediately, one block at a time. So what's the next thing? Elizabeth Elliot did this so good, and I wanted to read another uh, passage from uh, Through the Gates of Splendor, the book that she wrote about the um, missionaries. And she wrote an epilogue in 1996, and she knew everything was up to the Lord. And this is what she said. She said, it is not the level of our spirituality that we can depend on. It is God and nothing less than God. For the work is God's and the call is God's and everything is summoned by him and to his purposes. The whole scene, the whole mess, the whole package, our bravery and our cowardice, our love and our selfishness, our strengths and our weaknesses. Christian, everything is up to him. We can take steps knowing that the whole scene, the whole mess, and believe me, sometimes our lives feel like a mess, is all being held by the creator of the universe in the palm of his hand. So remember your calling. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. He's your dependence. He's your strength. And we need to know one thing. Guess what? The Lord is the actual wall around you. They're building a wall, right, to protect the city. The Lord is your protection, your safety, security. You already have a wall that will never break down. You can trust in him. And as you go, know that the Lord will fulfill his purpose for you. Psalm 138, verse 7 and 8 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for you. Brother and sister, know that. Bank on that in any opposition you face. In Christ, you and I have all been called to one Father. And know that any opposition you face, I face. 
the person next to you faces. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. We face it together. And so we all need to ask, what part of the wall are we meant to rise up and build? Inside our families, our church, our neighborhood, the city we live in? There will be opposition, but you will be able to rise up and build where he has placed you, no matter what opposition comes, no matter what the enemy might throw at you. Jesus has won the victory. Fear not, for the Lord is with you. Now, we're going to end our time by doing a little call and response. So you guys have had some energy this morning, okay? I think we can do this. Um, We are going to repeat. I'm going to read a line from Psalm 136, and then you guys are going to repeat. Up on the screen, we're going to have, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then I'm going to read a couple verses, and then I'm going to just say some of our own lines that I think are pertinent to us this morning. And by doing this, we together, you by yourself is saying, I'm remembering who my God is. But you're also speaking it to the person next to you and us as a congregation saying, we can move forward knowing his steadfast love endures forever. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's, uh, let's get after our Lord. Let's go ahead. You guys have energy? Can we stand? Okay. If you can't stand, please stay seated. I understand that. Okay. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Mm. Give thanks to the God of gods. To him who alone does great wonders. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. Amen. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. We will not fear. In our grief and our sorrow, we can be comforted. Church, let us rise up and build. Amen. To the one creator of the universe who is holding you right now, would you go forth in power and remember him who has called you. It is a great privilege, Christian. All right, would you pray with me? Father, We are so thankful and humbled that you would call ordinary individuals that seem feeble and weak to accomplish extraordinary things. Father, I pray that you would comfort those that are grieving today, that are feeling opposition, and remind them who has called them. Remind them of their good shepherd, their father, who will never let them down or forsake them. Remind them that you are great and awesome. And those of us that are in joy in our calling and really feeling excited about pursuing, would you continue to remind us that it's not our own doing, but it is you who have called us. You will fulfill your purpose for us. Father, remind us this week. Do not leave it here on a Sunday morning, but you would remind us tomorrow and on Tuesday when we have to get up and do the next thing that we would start by remembering you in whatever opposition we face. We love you, Jesus. I pray you would grow a deeper love in us, each one of us for you. We pray all these things in your precious name.
Amen. Amen. On by singing to our Lord of how great he is.